in today's show, we're going to be talking to a man who has an amazing story and journey of life. He's a father of faith to me. And in this story, like a very good cup of tea, we're going to slow down and we're going to steep in this conversation. The conversation is going to be a little bit more slow or more in-depth and enjoyable than some of the past shows that we've done. So as you're listening, just relax and be ready to enjoy the slow process of the life and the lessons that we've learned. In this episode, we're going to be talking about what it means to live life with both physical and spiritual limbs, the heartache of loss, the fear of death, and even the the heartache that a lot of people go through that don't talk about sexual abuse. So in this episode, we're going to be experiencing what it means to live life with a limp. Enjoy the show. I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting, and I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document, and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you. Sign up for it because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free. And I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. Today, I'm really excited to have here in my living room, a not only friend of mine, but someone who I consider one of my fathers of faith who have played a huge influence in my life. His name is none other than Jerry Lout, who has been a missionary in Africa for over 20 years. He's married to an amazing, lovely wife and has multiple children who all serve God. And he's here today to talk to us about a couple of his books, as well as the life and the upbringing behind the books and how that involves the whole person concept. So Jerry, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Evan. It's a delight to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm doing well this morning. Thanks. So I wanted to share, before we get into your books and everything, I wanted people to know why you are important in my life. So this was in the fall of 2012. And I had met you probably during that summer of 2012. And then my wife and I ended up moving to Phoenix to help plant a church. And it became very apparent while we were there that that's not where God wanted us or just things weren't working out with the the local ministry relationship with them and us. They're nice people. Uh, Just we butted heads quite a bit. And here's what's so crazy. This man comes into my life right before that season starts. And it's ironic that 
so quickly, I felt like God formed a really personal relationship between you and I in that season. And you were the person that really became my advisor during that season of my life. And, and I think here's one reason why God even set it up. Because even after we were in Phoenix, you guys had a wedding to go to. So you actually ended up traveling out there for that wedding. And then were also able to meet with us. Right. And I remember the moment where my wife and I were just so hurt, so broken out there. And we didn't know what to do. And we called you and Anne, and we were talking to you guys on the phone in the cars we're driving. And we asked, or no, you asked us the question, you know, what can we do for you guys? What, what, what do you need to hear from us? And for us, since we left Tulsa, left the church to go plant a church, we wanted to know it was okay to come back without having our tails tucked between our legs without the feeling of failure, without the feeling of, oh, well, they didn't do it, you know. And I think that was one of the reasons why we tried to stick it out longer than, than we should have. And you said, what do you need from us? My wife said, we just need to know we can come back. And, and I remember very specifically, as you said, we welcome you back with open arms. And, you know, God had already you know, softened our hearts along this journey. But because of that, because we came back, so many things, while life actually got harder after that in many areas, we were around church family. We were around my in-laws. Then my parents ended up moving here. And God surrounded us and rooted us so deeply where we're at that I'm just, I'm so appreciative of where we live now. And a lot of thanks goes to God bringing you in my life as a father of one, to me, you know, one of the fathers of faith in, in my life who have helped guide me in a pivotal moment. And so I wanted to share the story with our audience. This is the man who's, who's here today. And one reason why I love this man and wanted to, to talk to him on the show. Thank you, Evan. That's uh, very humbling to me for you to share that and hear that. And, Ann and I looked back numbers of times on that experience in Phoenix and with gratitude that her brother was getting married. So we had a reason already to be in Phoenix and the way the Lord converged that time frame for us to just be with you um, in that segment of the journey. And we grew ourselves in the midst of all that. So what a, what a ride, huh? It was. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Well, Jerry, let's, let's talk about you. Um, you know, you have written a few books. One, Living with a Limp, and the other book is um, Giants in the Rough. And there are memoirs based off of your life, your stories, your experiences. And I've got to be honest, while I don't, well, <laughs> I used to not have any physical limps now I do because of the you know surgery with a knee the audience knows that but you literally went through life with a limp which I love the title of the book tell us why you chose that title and the message behind it kind of backing up a little bit with my the kind of the backstory if you will my uh 
I was born in Berkeley, California, and the first episode of polio, in my case, I actually, I'm one of those rare guys that had polio two times, and the first time around was when I was about a year old. My dad and mom were Oklahomans way back in the day, and grew up during the time of the Great Depression, became part of their narrative, their world, uh, as well as the Dust Bowl. So my dad took freight trains to California looking for work. Mom came out and they were married there. So the first stretch of my experience with polio was one that they actually knew that I was not well, but they, uh, I kind of came through it before they realized anything was going wrong. It left me with the actual limp that I carry today. Uh, but the reason for the title of that book, of this book, is um, because, indeed, the physical limp is a, a point of reference. But every human being, all of us, right, we carry internal limps. We are imperfect beings. We've had pain in our lives, some of it self-inflicted, certainly in my case, and also imposed upon us, pain and hardship, difficulties. And so we struggle. We have various kinds of struggles. So, yeah, living with a limp uh, has dual applications in my own life. So just a bunny sidebar question. Did you ever get vaccinated for polio? You know, I didn't, uh, Evan, uh, because of my age where I am right now. I was... Uh, uh, Before the vaccine? Yeah. At the, time of the, at the time of the vaccine, it came out one year after my second episode oh, wow. with, uh, with polio. So, and I was nine years old at that time. So salt vaccine came out in 55, I believe. I, was, I had my second bout of polio in 54. Hmm. Was nine. I'm just curious because there's a lot of, I mean, I'm a young parent, so there's a lot of debate over to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. So I just, I was curious. Sure, sure. The March of Dimes was an amazing organization back in those days when I had the second round of polio, which really was my most severe case by far than my first episode. Um, although it left me with little or no physical evidence uh, in subsequent years. But the March of Dimes was this organization that ended up funding basically all my medical care. So That's awesome. I'm indebted to them. I get their letters all the time. <laughs> Jerry, regarding your book, you know, and life, because it is a memoir, just speak of your experience, speak of your journey, your life, and some of the lessons that came from the spiritual and physical limps through, through your life and kind of what's in your book. Yeah. <clears throat> my, uh, with my story beginning as it did with my dad and mom on their journey, neither of them were believers when they met. They were both very poor Oklahomans, dad was orphaned, both lost both of his parents before he was seven years old. He was the youngest of six children. 
and they were just poor dirt farmers from the Tahlequah, Oklahoma area. So uh, a part of their journey had to do with, uh, with a limp of its own sort. When they arrived in, when he took up residence and brought mom out, she came out on buses to the San Francisco Bay Area. Their first child was a daughter and then their second was a son, so Betty and Bobby. They developed asthma, both their two first children. So after a time, they realized that in that damp climate of the San Francisco Bay Area, they needed to find a, a drier environment. So they moved to Phoenix, Arizona. But in Phoenix, they faced a real tragedy. They lost their son, Bobby, at three and a half years old to drowning in an irrigation canal, just a freak accident. Well, that, of course, uh, stopped them in their tracks. They were so deeply uh, grieving, sorrowing in that. But meanwhile, my dad's older sister, who had moved to Phoenix with her family, had become a believer. And her name was Debbie. So Aunt Debbie was beautifully instrumental in bringing my mom and dad to an awareness of hope through Jesus. And so shortly after the death of my brother, who, of course, I, I never met, um, they came to faith in Jesus. And it made all the difference in the world. They moved back to California after a time. Then my next brother, Tim, was born, and then I came along 13 months later, um, born there in Berkeley. The, uh, the journey of faith for me became one where, of course, I do not remember my first episode with the polio virus, um, but I was about close to close to a year old when we also moved back to Oklahoma. The roots of Oklahoma called us back to the Sooner State, <clears throat> my parents. So we came here. I ended up growing up on <clears throat> little farm properties. Um, and it was at the age of nine when I was down at the barn <clears throat> and I started walking up toward the house and my mom saw me stumble and fall. She thought I stumbled, but I just fell. I got up, took a few steps, fell again. Did the same thing repeatedly a couple of times. So she figured something was wrong, came down. In a few minutes, I was unable to walk. Was hospitalized in an Okmulgee hospital. And at that time, the assumption, understandably, was that if you had this virus once, you probably wouldn't be having it another time and that was the assumption that the physician had. But after a week in the hospital and becoming totally paralyzed from my waist down and continuing to grow weaker, the physician recommended that we consult some other professionals in the medical field. And that was when uh, I was diagnosed in very short order with polio. And at that time, there's a hospital in Tulsa called Hillcrest Medical mm -hmm. Center. And Hillcrest is where I ended up going. And at that time, there were so many, it was like an epidemic of polio across the land. And Hillcrest Hospital had actually opened up an entire, they dedicated a whole wing of the hospital for only polio victims, children, young people, young adults. And so I became one of those. Um, and 
this little church, the, the kind of a spiritual part of this process of faith part came from this fact that we were part of a little small church community there in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And the people just went to the mat for me in prayer mm-hmm. and didn't let up. And I continued to decline, got worse and worse. And finally, when my body was uh, so emaciated, uh, I was skin and bones. Uh, my respiratory system was now affected. Um, and I was a candidate now to be put inside what they call the iron lung and uh, special apparatus. It's like a horizontal tin can, big thing, and only your head is exposed. You're lying there. And it would enable you to, to keep breathing. So I was right on the verge of needing to go into one of those to enable me to survive. Uh, when all of those prayers seemed to, in the Lord's sovereignty, he just intervened. And I, I plateaued off in terms of my decline and then started improving. And within a month from the time that I was in my worst condition, I walked out of Hillcrest Hospital. Wow. Uh, with the aid of some crutches, which I was able to retire shortly thereafter. I had a question for you regarding this. I, I don't know if your parents ever shared this with you or if you perceived this, but I'm a father that lost a child. She was premature, stillborn. And so anytime any of my kids are sick because your parents lost a child, you know, there's always that worry. There's always that concern that, you know, it could happen again. And it's very easy to feel fear or um, a lack of control or uncertainty. And so I can only imagine your parents already having gone through losing one son that now when they're, they're with you in the situation that, that their concerns are all in that line as well. Did they ever express to you how they dealt with that or the fear that they've had um, through that process? That's a great question. And I feel like, uh, again, I really feel like God gave to my parents grace in that arena. We did not actually have conversations about that. And I wondered that myself down through the years, of course, as an adult, I got older and started weighing those same kinds of considerations. What if that had been me, my children? And uh, the reality is I've thought several times how trusting that my parents were. I think of my dad, you know, losing his, the only son that he had at that time. And then later on, when we moved out to the farm areas in Oklahoma, we had ponds to water our cattle. And my brother and I spent endless hours swimming in ponds unsupervised. And I've thought numbers of times that both my mother and my dad were able to really extend their levels of trust and relinquishment into the Lord's care of their two sons. I had some episodes of my own when I was swimming. They come out in the little book, Living with the Limp. I dived headfirst into a pond-turned-commercial swimming pool in Okmulgee when it was very, very shallow and I wasn't aware. Knocked myself out, drug out of the, out of the swimming pool by a lifeguard, and 
and they didn't forbid me from going swimming again. Huh. Uh, so I'm really, really grateful for the level of trust that the Lord provided for them. Yeah. There's a lesson there for me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. For all of us. No kidding. When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example, that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes, so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago, and he was the first coach I've ever had. And he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're going to get in a spot where you're going to be able to give back to others. And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now that it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me that at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people, I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm going to make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm going to offer a free 15-minute coaching phone call to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15-minute phone call, I have the prices right up front. I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show. So what was the experience like reflecting? Because you're of an age where the majority of your life has been lived. And now you're writing. You're writing memoirs. You're writing your past experiences. What lessons, what legacy through your books are you wanting to leave? There are uh, three, I would say, audiences, to, for lack of a better term, that I write for. And this has come out through a process of my asking myself exactly that question. Why do I feel to write? For a long time, I, I began to realize after the fact that for a lot of the years of my life, there was something internal in me that it was like an appeal or an invitation to articulate on paper and print um, things of life, some of a, of a teaching material approach, others from memoir. I have three, as you mentioned earlier, Evan, I have three, my wife and I have three children, Julie, Scott, and Amy, adults now, of course, and they, uh, uh, as I, as I look at the future, my offspring, their spouses, uh, their children, our grandchildren, and on down through the coming generations, God willing, uh, a main focus of my writing is for the benefit of legacy to pass on 
some of the things, some of the struggles, uh, some of the issues, the, the imperfections of my life and of the heritage that they had, but also the wonderful blessing of being able to walk through adversity and hardship of varying kinds down through the years and see the hand of a gracious Heavenly Father. So let's go down that path. What, I mean, obviously polio was one of those life-changing spiritual growth and development aspects. What are some lessons that you felt like God has showed you through that experience and, you know, other spiritual experiences through being a missionary that have really grown you as the person that you are? There's a quote that I picked up years and years ago. It's by some anonymous writer somewhere along the way. And it says this, Nothing comes to spring save through winter. So the mystery of how adversity, hardships, hurdles in life serve as we allow them to, as we come to places in our lives where we engage this notion that there is a God. He's a gracious, loving, all-powerful, all-wise God and a Father, relational God, that he, more than any other being in all the universe and certainly within all the circles of our own relationships, cares most deeply about who we are and what our best is and understands that mysteriously, again, Adversity, pain, hardships are avenues often that help bring us to himself. I think, Evan, that one of the greatest gifts that God gives to human beings is the gift of disillusionment with ourselves. Hmm. When I arrive at a place where I start catching on to the notion that I'm not a self-made person, that there are foibles. Yes, there are strengths. Yes, there are gracious giftings that come into every individual life. And uh, there are benefits that come with our own personality and our wiring. But we also are broken people and we need help. We need someone to intervene that's way, way bigger, way, way smarter than we are and more loving. And so that for me has been one of the most significant lessons that I have been learning, still am learning, as we come to relinquish the, the right to our own life. There are processes that that takes place that I've only been recently kind of becoming, coming to discover more, and that is that there are intentional practices that a person can apply uh, sometimes people refer them as spiritual disciplines. Think of the standard ones that easily come to, to mind, uh, having a prayer life, uh, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, uh, fasting, um, service, worship, celebration, community, meditation, contemplation, uh, 
I've just rattled off a list of some of the things that I hope will comprise something of one of the future books coming along, God willing. That would be nice. And those areas enable us to simply cooperate with God and inviting his Holy Spirit to be right in the middle of those practices with us so that we're not really gaining righteousness through the application of these spiritual disciplines, but we are positioning ourselves through them to be accessible to his spirit, to his word, and allow him graciously in his great power and wisdom and uh, affection toward us to grow in, as the scripture says, in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If someone's on the beginning stages of their journey in terms of relationship and faith with God, what spiritual practices or disciplines, as Richard Foster would say, um, that, that you think from your life experience as a missionary uh, and as a person that help develop that relationship? First and foremost, to me, would be, again, acknowledging our own personal need and just being okay with acknowledging that to the Father. Trust is something that doesn't typically come automatically for most. It's something that we grow into, just like if we're at a swimming hole or something and our first invitation by a parent or a responsible adult is, jump on in. I'm right here. I'll catch you. Don't worry about it. That level of stretching our trust to be able to abandon ourselves to him. And so raw, open, yes, God, I'm going to take the plunge, though I don't have a lot of answers. And out of that, growing to discover who he is, not just what he can do, but learning who he is in an increasingly intimate relationship with the Father and with the Son, the Savior, the Lord Jesus, and with the indwelling Holy Spirit, the blessed Holy Trinity that is God. Growing in that through prayer, through regular conversing with him, preferably in, yes, uh, specific set-aside times during the course of the day, but not only that. Uh, while we're going about our activities, whatever it is that we're engaged in, to grow in the discipline and the practice. And it does take practice. It takes intentionality. But he's there to help us. His grace is at work. It is God. Philippians speaks about it is God who works in you. Here's a paraphrase of that causing you to want to do the right thing and enabling you to do the good thing. You know, as you're saying, developing a, a way for personal relationship, you know, I've been a Christian, let's say 29 years. Yeah. I started probably when I was around three and even at three, I, while it was more based off of the influence around me, I still knew the decision I was making because there are other spiritual gifts that came along pretty quick from a very young age. 
Growing up within Christianity, one of the hardest things that that I notice people struggle with and even I myself struggle with is that oftentimes our relationship with God and our prayers and our time spent are spent asking for his hand instead of his heart. We're asking for him to do something, to change something, to to make a situation go our way versus just spending time with his presence. And what I've realized or learned in my life and struggle with currently is that despite my circumstances, despite what I'm going through, that Jesus is there in the midst and I don't have to ask him to change things, but just know that he's with me there going through it. And I think that's why a lot of the disillusionment within Christianity and why people fall away is because we have this idea that Jesus should do X, Y, and Z if I'm going through a situation. Instead of peace being something that is controllable and I can make happen through faith or or belief, which is not peace at all. Peace, true peace is not circumstantial. True peace is despite circumstances and so as you're saying that that's what i don't know that's just kind of what grew on the inside of me there jerry let me ask you this because this is something i struggle with and it's something that you went through very early on the fear of death Hmm. a lot of people are in fear over the idea of dying And that has looked different for me at different times. I've had, you know, before I was married, it's like, God, just, you know, don't, don't let me go before I get married. I I wanted to experience what sex was like after marriage, you know? And then it's like, well, don't, don't, don't let me go before I have children. Don't, don't let me go. Now it's like, God, I want to, I want to make a significant impact. Don't let me go before. And it's like, I am so worried about when my life will end. And, I, you know, it's something that I've always been working on. And I think one of the reasons why it's been such a fear in my life, and you might remember this, but since 2008, I've had one close person on average, sometimes two or three a year, but one close person on average a year die that I know. like. Like heartbreak, death, not, not like, oh, man, I, I kind of knew them. It, it's been a, a season of grief, a season of fear. And the more I've recognized people going on, the less that becomes a fear. However, I look at my family and I say, I don't want to leave them without a father. I want them to have a spiritual legacy and a heritage and stuff. And Honestly, that's probably one one of the many reasons why this podcast has come about is so that I can record my journey and that, you know, in this process, I can work through those fears as well. Mm-hmm. So you went through that at a very young age. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, one of the most significant questions of life, isn't it? Um, I think it's Job that says, when a man dies, will he live again? 
I remember as a child, even I think pre-polio for that second time around, there was this little funny kind of prayer that is common to a lot of people still. Yeah. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. I actually refer to that little prayer in Living with a Limp in the memoir because it addressed this very thing that you're bringing up here, Evan. And it was a mixed kind of deal. I felt for a stretch of time in my childhood with my little immature mind, I, I felt like I, it was really important that I pray that prayer before I went to sleep. Because if I didn't pray that prayer, maybe he wouldn't keep my soul or maybe I would die in the middle of the night. So those are, you know, the fear of death is a universal phenomenon in all cultures of all parts of the world in all seasons throughout the generations. And Jesus so wonderfully supplies for those of us who are followers of him, we're aware of this. He so supplies for us the peace that transcends everything, including this issue of anxiety, apprehension, fear of dying. When Paul says, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That carries with it an enormous amount of comfort. So through my episodes of polio, it was clearly, I'm sure, my parents who struggled over the possibility of me dying rather than myself. I just knew I was a sick kid in a hospital, and it didn't play on my mind a lot during my time of polio. And I think that was kind of God's provision of just protecting my psyche and my whole sense of who I was to be as a child. But, you know, the love of God, when Paul writes in Romans, and he poses this question for us, who shall separate us from the love of God? shall persecution or distress or famine or angelic beings or nakedness or peril or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you're so right that the intimacy, the closeness of relationship with him is what makes all the difference in our lives. And we get to do that frequently, not just once or twice in our life and make a solid firm decision okay that's this is the correct theology on this matter and and i'm no longer going to have apprehension right. about loss of life and myself of or someone else uh, because he's in charge and he is good you know you, you know keith wheeler he I'm just, I was reminded of, as you were saying that, of something that he told me personally 10, 12, 13 years ago. And it was that if we have enough faith to live in Christ, we must also have enough faith to die mm -hmm. in Christ. You know, there's a, there's a feature that I include in this book of someone who, I came to see as a uh, 
as a hero of mine. It's actually a lady. And if it'd be okay, maybe I could just read a little piece. Sure, that. absolutely. Her name is Opaline, Opaline Collins. And bear with me while I just pull this up and I'll find the right page. It's okay, I'll edit this part out while you're <laughs> oh, cool, pulling cool. it up. Awesome, awesome. We'll do the job. So Opaline Collins, uh, in this book that speaks about Okmulgee and this angel on crutches, I would refer to her later. I fell in love at age five. Her name was Opaline. She was decades my senior, but she was beautiful, even in braces, especially in braces like leg braces. The Plymouth sedan rolled to a stop in the parking lot of our little house of worship. When the driver's door opened, a metallic glint caught my eye. The driver was exiting her car. It was a process. She swiveled slowly, so both her legs, framed in stainless steel braces, dangled to the outside. What caught my eye next was her face. Angelic? The adjective wasn't yet in my word store, but yes. A quality beamed from the young woman's face, almost a glow. Opaline's smile overtook me. And that wonder at her style, at her smile never left. Falling in love with Opaline was enchantment, not romance, an unlikely combination of hardware and heart fueled the attraction. Full leg braces, both her limbs, modestly concealed beneath her cream-colored skirt, braces combined with her smile. My meeting her spawned a long journey of regard. How can full-length leg braces and this kind of smile cohabit? My gaze lowered to my own limbs, a malformed shoe fashioned by pressure from an equally malformed foot. My mindset shifted. I smiled at the new revelation. I shared a common affliction with an angel. <laughs> so opening became that person that we kind of yearn for to have in our lives. I think inherently in all human beings, there's this appetite that says, where is an individual, male or female, who might most characterize the kind of person that I would like to be, and I know I would like to be on the inside, expressing itself in all my life. Opaline was that person for me. From early childhood, she had had polio herself. She became, in our little church that we attended, she, she oversaw the Christmas play. She oversaw the entire vacation Bible school program every year. Crutches, this laborious, difficult movement that she would have. She was a high school teacher. Drove her little specially outfitted vehicle 15 miles to another town to teach high school and smiled and graciously presented herself as, for me, a representative of what Jesus surely is like in human form in this day. Cool. She inspired me clearly because of this common affinity that we had. I thought, wow, she had this horrible virus, crippled her up. She never recovered physically but on her 
deathbed, uh, retirement year age, uh, after her years of teaching in high school, she was in and out of consciousness describing heaven, describing the beauty, the colors, the sounds of music, uh, and broad, deep smile of sweet contentment and anticipation on her face throughout. I learned that later when we were living overseas and she passed away. So yeah, there are people in our lives, aren't there, that touch us deeply and inspire us to keep taking that next step forward. I like to end my podcasts with three questions. The first question is, what negative self-talk have you had or currently struggle with? When I was a pre-puberty boy, I had an experience of being sexually molested. Uh, it wasn't for a long, enduring time, protracted time, but enough to confuse me utterly. I never spoke of that incident for more than 50 years. There was never a sense of safety or an environment where I felt either as a child or then as a growing adult and then certainly as a, as a missionary, a vocational minister, where I felt there was a safe environment to have that. So I struggled over issues related to this whole sexual narrative was not introduced to anything about the topic through a responsible adult who could convey those kinds of things. In that era, there was very, very little discussion that was made in a good, solid, healthy, responsible way from by adult men to their sons. So for many years, that negative impact and other uh, negativity related to that issue uh, had me paralyzed, had me broken on the inside and uh, self-conflicted, self-condemning, self-accusatory. Right. So those, those are areas that only in recent years I came to discover means and avenues through trusted, good, authentic, vulnerable men that have been instrumental through the grace of God to help me. What brings you peace? The peace in knowing that God's word is authentic, that it lasts, that his character and his nature is consistent with his good word, that he is trustworthy, and that he has my future as well as having my back. What's the best decision you've ever made? Apart from, you know, yielding my life over to Jesus when I was a kid, uh, marrying my wife, asking her to marry me, and never looked back. And as it is said a lot of times, most men marry up. I'm certainly one of those guys. Jerry, thank you so much for 
your vulnerability, for your life experiences, the time and energy it took for you to write the book and to even come and, and talk with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Evan. Such a pleasure. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you would, I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing as well as rating and even leaving us an objective review. It helps us with our ratings and spreading the message of the Whole Person Podcast. And now, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Take care and God bless.